Awesome. Thank you so much, Kerry. We had you working today. You had communion, giving, promotions, all sorts of things happening. So praise God. It's good to have Ben in the house from Hope Church. So thank you so much, Ben, for joining us this morning. That was awesome. Pastor Jacob is down at Teen Challenge, so uh, he's preaching down at Grace Chapel, not to be confused with Grace Church, uh, and he's preaching down there this morning uh, to the staff and students and families, so a bunch of students have graduated from the Teen Challenge program. If you don't know Teen Challenge, it's a drug and alcohol rehabilitation who we partner with uh, down in Esperance, and so we know he's going to be a real blessing there. He got asked to, um, they had their graduation ceremony last night. And he got asked to give the students a dress as well, so he addressed the students. And uh, we sent our love. We love partnering with Teen Challenge. We said that we're there to support the graduates in any way we can, and uh, they're welcome here with open arms, so that's fantastic. We had a great sisterhood yesterday, didn't we, Adele? It was awesome. Um, and uh, two of our amazing ladies shared their testimonies, Di and Denise, my mum. Uh, and uh, so thank you so much. That was so powerful, you know, and we just, uh, we always have a great time. It's good to get together with the ladies and uh, men, your turn's um, on the 28th of March, so make sure uh, you register. Hey? Ash is excited. How is everybody? Are we good? Yeah, it's good to see everyone. Is my mic sound all right? Are you sure? can feel it a bit echoey. It's fine? It's fine? All right, cool. Special effects. Hey? Double the message, yeah. Oh, cool. All right, so the Jonah series, here we go. So we're going to kick off with a clip. Is that all right? Yeah. All right, so this, give, this is a pretty cool clip. It gives you an overview of Jonah. Here we go. The book of Jonah, a subversive story about a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Jonah's unique among the prophets of the Old Testament because they're typically collections of God's words spoken through the prophet. But this book doesn't actually focus on the words of the prophet. Rather, it's a story about a prophet, a really mean and nasty prophet. Jonah appears only one other time in the Old Testament. It's during the reign of Jeroboam II, one of Israel's worst kings. And Jonah prophesied in his favor, promising that he would win a battle and regain all this territory on Israel's northern border. Now, it's important to know that the prophet Amos also confronted Jeroboam, and through him, God specifically reversed Jonah's prophecy, promising that Jeroboam would lose all of those same territories because he was so horrible. So before the story of Jonah even begins, we are suspicious of Jonah's character. The book of Jonah has a beautiful design with all this literary pairing and symmetry. So you have chapters 1 and 3 telling the story of Jonah's encounter with non-Israelites, first with some sailors and then with Jonah's hated enemies, the Ninevites. And each part offers a comic contrast between Jonah's selfishness and the pagans' humility and repentance. Chapters 2 and 4 contain prayers of Jonah. One is a prayer of repentance, kind of, and the other is a prayer in which Jonah chews out God for being too nice. Now, this careful design of the book is matched by a really unique style of narration. The story is full of all of these stereotyped characters who, ironically, do the exact opposite of what you think they would do. So you have the prophet, the man of God, who rebels and hates his own God. You have the sailors who are supposed to be really immoral, but actually they have soft, repentant hearts and turn to God in humility. You have the king of the most powerful, murderous empire on the planet, and he humbles himself before God because of 
Jonah's five-word sermon, and even the king's cows repent. This kind of story fits what today we would call satire. These are stories about well-known figures who are placed in extreme circumstances, and they use humor and irony to critique their stupidity and character flaws. Let's just dive in and we'll see how all the pieces work together. The story opens as God addresses Jonah and commissions him to go preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's bitter enemy. But instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, finding a ship going as far west as you can go to Tarshish. Now the big question here is why? Why does Jonah run? Is he afraid? Does he just not like Ninevites? And we're not told yet. So the man of God tries to run from God, and he boards a ship full of pagan sailors. He goes down into the ship, and then he falls asleep. So God sends a huge storm to wake up his prophet, while ironically the sailors above board are wide awake to everything that's happening. They can discern that there's a divine power at work here. So they throw the dice, and they discover that Jonah, he is the culprit. So they ask Jonah to explain himself, and Jonah spouts off a whole bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. He says, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke, right? God made the sea and the dry land all right, and Jonah's dumb enough to run from this God by getting on a boat? And when the sailors ask Jonah what they should do, he says, kill me, right, by throwing me overboard, which kind of seems noble at first until you realize this could actually be his most selfish move yet. I mean, what better way to avoid going to Nineveh? So he puts his blood on these innocent sailors' hands by trying to force them to kill him. They're reluctant, of course, and they repent to God even as they toss him over. The storm subsides, and they end up fearing the God of Israel, and unlike Jonah, they actually worship God. But God foils Jonah's plans to escape Nineveh. As Jonah's sinking, God provides this strange, watery tomb for him, the stomach of a large fish. Now, of course, under normal circumstances, this would be certain death. But in this story, everything's upside down. And so Jonah's submarine death becomes his passage back to life. Cramped in the stomach of this beast, Jonah utters a prayer, where he never technically says that he's sorry, but he does thank God for not abandoning him, and he promises that he will obey God from this point on, no matter what. And God's response is quite comic. The whale vomits Jonah back onto dry land. So once again, God commissions Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh, and Jonah complies. We're told that Nineveh was a gigantic city. It would take days to walk through. So Jonah gets one day in, and here is his message. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. It's five words in Hebrew. Now, his sermon is very short, and it's also odd. I mean, look at what's missing. There's no mention of what the Ninevites have done wrong, or of what they should do to respond. There's no mention of who might overturn them. And most noticeable, there's no mention of God. What's going on here? Has Jonah intentionally given the bare minimum of information? It's like he's trying to sabotage his own message or ensure the Ninevites' destruction. There's just no effort on Jonah's part here. Whatever his motives are, the plan doesn't work. Because no sooner does he utter this five-word sermon that the king of Nineveh, the entire city, including all its cows, repent in sorrow and ashes. So for the second time, these evil pagans show themselves to be more responsive than God's own prophet. So God forgives the Ninevites, and he doesn't bring destruction on the city. Now, here's the brilliant part of the story. The last word of Jonah's short sermon, overturned, 
means just that, turned over. And it can refer to a city being overthrown or destroyed, like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it can also be used of something being transformed, like turned over and changed into its opposite. And so, comically, Jonah's words actually came true, but not in the way that he intended. Nineveh does get turned over as Jonah's enemies repent and find God's mercy. The final chapter brings all the pieces together. Jonah, he's fuming mad, and he utters his second prayer. He first tells God why he ran away back in chapter 1. It was not because he was afraid. Rather, it was because he knew that God was so merciful. And this is great. Jonah actually quotes God's own description of himself from the book of Exodus, and he throws it back in God's face as an insult. He says he knew that God is compassionate and that you would find some way to forgive these horrible Ninevites. You can just hear the disgust in Jonah's voice. Jonah then cuts off the conversation and he prays that God would kill him on the spot. He'd rather die than live with the God who forgives his enemies. Fortunate for Jonah, God doesn't comply and simply asks if Jonah's anger is even justified. Jonah ignores the question and he goes outside the city to camp on a nearby hill waiting to see what might happen. You know, the Ninevites might repent of their repentance and get roasted after all. What happens next is very odd. God provides this viney plant to shade Jonah from the sun, and that makes him quite happy. But then God sends a tiny worm to eat up the plant, and so Jonah loses his shade. And there, in the heat of the sun, Jonah asks again that God kill him. So God, again, asks Jonah if his anger is justified, and Jonah barks back, absolutely just let me die. And those are Jonah's last words in the story. God's final words are what concludes the book. He says that this whole vine incident was an attempt to get through to Jonah, right? Jonah got all concerned and emotional over this vine, which he only enjoyed for a day. And God asked Jonah, you know, aren't humans a bit more valuable than vines? I mean, isn't it okay if God might feel the same kind of emotion and concern for the city of Nineveh that's full of thousands of people who have lost their way and also their cows? And that's how the book ends, with God asking Jonah for permission to show mercy to his enemies. And what is Jonah's answer? The story doesn't say, because that's not the point. The point is that the book is trying to mess with you. And God's questions here are actually addressed to you, the reader. Are you okay with the fact that God loves your enemy? And so this book holds a mirror up to the one who reads it. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified, which should generate humility and gratitude that God would love his enemies and put up with the Jonah in all of us. And so this strange story actually becomes a message of good news about the wideness of God's mercy that ought to challenge us to the core. And that's the book of Jonah. There we go. <laughs> Series done. Let's go have coffee. No, just kidding. Interesting, though, hey? Challenging? A good overview of Jonah, right? It's more than just a cool story that you're telling kids' church, right, Joyce? Hey, more than that, isn't it? It's confronting and challenging. Forcing us to take a look at our own beliefs and values, right? Forcing us to have a look at, is there a Jonah in me? Is there a Jonah in you? Bottom line is Jonah didn't want to see sinners get saved. He didn't want to see sinners repent. He was hoping maybe that they'd repent of their repentedness. Did you catch that? I thought that bit was cool. He didn't want to see sinners being blessed. 
being let off the hook, so to speak. You know when people get let off the hook? He couldn't handle God being merciful to those who were far from him, to those that rebelled against him. Yet, it was okay for him to rebel. It was okay for him to be disobedient, but he couldn't handle it when other people were doing it. You have to ask, was there double standards at play? Was there double standards happening? I wonder if when he gave the false prophecy to the king Jeroboam, you know, when, they talk, when he talked about how he'd popped up before and he gave the prophecy, I wonder if he was trying to set that king up. He was, he was saying that, that there's favour on you, that you will defeat your enemies, that you will gain territory. <clears throat> but this king was evil. He was a sinner. I wonder if Jonah was trying to take matters into his own hands. You have to ask yourself that question after we've just watched what we've watched and we read what we read in Jonah. <clears throat> was Jonah religious? You have to ask yourself that question too. <clears throat> it was okay for God to be merciful towards him when he rebelled, but it wasn't okay for God to be merciful towards the Ninevites. Matthew 7.3 says, Why do you look at the speck? of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. I wonder if Jonah had a big, massive plank in his eye. I wonder if I've got one in mine. I wonder if you've got one in yours. The book of Jonah challenges us to take a look at what's really in our hearts. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world... And don't switch off right now because you know this scripture. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, every single person. God has done and will do all he can to see his people come back into relationship with him. We just saw that. We don't get to pick and choose uh, who God gets to be merciful too, do we? Sometimes we wish we can. It's not about who we think deserves mercy, is it? Jonah thought he could play a part in it. I was listening to a podcast recently um, by Paul Scanlon. If you know Paul Scanlon, he's a well-known leader and speaker uh, amongst Christian circles. And he was sharing how he got saved at the age of 15. And uh, so he, he uh, got saved in high school through his uh, high school teacher. And uh, so Paul Scanlon, he had no Christian background. Uh, he said, in fact, his family had uh, professional PhDs in being heathens. So that was his background of Christianity. Uh, just a bunch of heathens and a long line of heathens all the way back in his family uh, generations. And so uh, he shared, but he shared how his teacher came to be at his particular school because it was a divine appointment. Uh, his teacher was from South Wales and, uh, and this teacher was fresh out of college and this teacher uh, applied for a job. But he didn't realise where the school actually was. So he applied for a job, and we're talking England. So he applied for a job in Dewsbury. But he thought Dewsbury was in Kent. But Dewsbury was actually in, in West Yorkshire. 
And, uh, and at that time, I don't know what it's like now, so don't throw stones at me, all you English people, if you're from there. But at that time, it was, there was state housing and, and where the school was was in a really bad area. And so uh, when his wife heard out, heard that, that, that he'd applied for a job there, when he realised where the job was, she's like, I'm not moving there. There's no way I want to move to that place. And he said, look, don't worry. He said, I'm going to throw the interview. He said, I'm going to sabotage the interview. And she said, well, how are you going to do that? And, he, and, and it was at that time, uh, which we're very familiar with, is where you, it started to be where you couldn't preach Christ in school. You couldn't, you couldn't talk openly about your faith. And we know that well in this day and age, but that was just starting to happen uh, back then. So he said, in the interview, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to be really open about our faith. I'm going to tell them that I'm going to preach to the kids and I'm just going to throw the interview, so don't worry. He said, but I have to go to the interview. He's fresh out of college, he's got the interview, it was somewhere, he didn't realise where it was but he's like I have to go to the interview and so he drives six hour north and when he gets to the neighbourhood and he's driving through he's like my wife's going to kill me if I get this job. And, uh, and so the headmaster interviews him and, uh, and when the headmaster asks, okay, what's your interests and your hobbies, he's like, now's my chance. And so he launches in ready to throw the interview and he's like, well, me and my wife are committed Christians, we're evangelicals, uh, if I'm going to teach religious education, I'm going to preach to the children, I'm going to tell them about Jesus Christ, I can't not teach a religious class without telling them about Christ and I'm going to be really open about my faith. And, uh, and he knew that this would, this would lose him the job like he knew that there are other people uh, that applied for the job and um, and so we thought this is it but as he said that the headmaster just starts crying and that's not what you want when you're trying to throw an interview right <laughs> and so the headmaster's crying and, and 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 the headmaster goes you're an answer to prayer he said, I've been begging God to send somebody that shares my faith and supports my faith. He says, don't talk anymore. We're done talking. You've got the job. <laughs> and so this guy walks out of the interview in a daze, drives back home in a daze, six hours, and he's like, my wife's going to kill me. Back then, uh, there was no text message, and Jacob texted me to prep me for stuff. This man couldn't do that. <laughs> There was no prepping for this wife. And uh, he's like, I didn't, even, uh, I didn't even say, can I get relocated? I didn't ask what the salary was. I didn't say, uh, um, I don't want the job. I didn't say, can I think about it? He just walked out in a daze. And, um, and so he got home and he walked through the door and his wife said, please tell me we're not going to that awful place. I'm sorry if you're from that area. This is many, many years ago. I don't know. I know there's a lot of English people here from West Yorkshire. I'm sure it's an amazing place. Adele tells me there's pockets of beautiful <laughs> villages there or something. But anyway, he said to her, you better sit down. And, uh, but anyway, cut a long story short, a couple of months later, uh, they moved there. And, um, and then a few weeks later of him teaching, uh, Paul Scanlon is one of the first young people to give his heart to Jesus Christ. A divine appointment. And now Paul Scanlon, he, he pastored a mega church in England uh, for many, many years. And now he leads leaders and pastors leaders. You know, he, I, he'd be like, I listen to his podcast all the time. He like mentors me. And he's touching and reaching people all around the world. From this one guy that tried to sabotage an interview. You know, God has his way regardless. God has his way 
regardless. There were people in West Yorkshire that needed to be reached, people that God wanted to be merciful towards, kids that were far from God, kids that needed him. They needed to repent of their ways. They needed to repent of their rebellion. They needed to repent of doing things their own way. And this teacher was a man for the job because apparently he just communicated Christ in such a way that the kids wanted what he had. He was the perfect man for the job. You know, when it comes to the will of God, God is really, really clear. He's really clear. We don't need to be second-guessing him all the time. We don't need to be wondering what it is or afraid we're going to miss it because if he wants something to happen, he will make it happen. It doesn't matter how we try and mess things up. It doesn't matter how we try and sabotage different things, how we try to run away because his mercy will catch us. His mercy will catch us. It's all around us. It's who he is. You know, Jonah tried to sabotage God's message to the Ninevites and we just saw it then. And, you know, his message was only five words. Like, I think that's hilarious. Five words in Hebrew was his message. And it, and it had no mention of God, no mention of what their sin was, no mention of how to respond. Like, just five words. Yet, regardless, the entire city, the king and the cows repented. <laughs> regardless. This is such a representation of God's incredible mercy. You know, we think we, have to, but we think we have to do stuff and strive and, and all of that, but God has his way. Of course we need to respond, but God has his way. And it shows uh, God's mercy not only to the people of Nineveh, but to Jonah himself. He probably needed the most mercy. I mean, those sailors, they had just had soft, repentant hearts. They're like, no, we don't want to kill you. You're God's person. And, and they were just repenting all over the place. But, but Jonah was the prophet. He was the one that was called by God. Think about it. It's crazy. You know, God doesn't give up on those that are far from God, but he also doesn't give up on those that are in his kingdom. He does not give up on those that are in his kingdom. Those that are trying to figure things out, those that are on the journey, those that are struggling with selfishness. And we all, our natural self is to be selfish. We all have a Jonah in us. But God doesn't give up on us. Those that are still in rebellion, you can be in God's kingdom and still be in rebellion, right? God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up on you. And praise God, he doesn't give up on me. Lord, pour out your mercy. <laughs> give me more. The start of chapter one, God spoke to Jonah and gave him instruction. And it was go to Nineveh and preach my message in chapter one. And then you read through chapter one and then you read through chapter two and with all that happens, you've got the ship and the pagan sailors and the whale. But then God pops back up in chapter 3. And the message is still the same. <laughs> the instruction is still the same. It hasn't changed. The call is irrevocable. Jonah 3.1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So we can be obedient the first time or we can go around and be obedient the second time or we can go around and be obedient the third time and on and on it goes and around and around and around we go. And God is waiting at the end of each chapter. He's just there waiting. It didn't change. Chapter 1, he said, go do this. Did all this stuff happen? Chapter 3, oh, hello, go do this. Same thing. And so God's waiting at the end of our chapters. 
or at the beginning of one of our chapters, waiting until you're done. <laughs> Just waiting. Whale, pagan sailors, ships, boats, sleeping, repentant prayer, half-hearted. Just waiting there. And when we're done, normally we get to the end of our chapter when we're having a meltdown, right? And we're blaming him. That's normally how it goes. Or is it just me? I'm seeing nodding heads, so I don't think it's just me. And then, uh, and he's just waiting, you know, he's waiting when you're done with the ship and the, and the sailors and, and the whale and when you're done running. And when the pain of rebellion outweighs the pain of obedience. When the pain of rebellion outweighs the pain of obedience. You know, it's up to us. How, we get to choose how much pain we suffer in, in all that, you know, those chapters, chapter one and chapter two, while we're busy with the, the whale and the, and the, and the ship and the, and the sailors. We choose. We get to choose how much pain really we, get, we suffer because at any time, any time we can turn back and say, Barley's, <laughs> I surrender. And two words that will change your life. Yes, God. Two words that will change your life. Yes, God. And, he, and he's just waiting there with, with that incredible mercy that he had for the Ninevites with the same message, with the same instruction. It hasn't changed from the last time. It was the same as it was in chapter 1. Whether it's the first time for Jonah, it was the second time. We read those words. For a second time, God said this. You know, for you it might be second. I don't know. You could be on your third, fourth, fifth, a hundred. Who knows? I won't tell you what number I'm on with some things. And he's saying the same thing to you. And for some of us, it just could be this. I love you and I want you to receive my love. Stop performing. You don't need to strive. And he's just waiting. All he wants, all he's waiting for is just you to, to, to receive that, to accept it, to surrender to his love. And you're doing your thing and you pop back up after you melt down and blaming him. And he says the same thing. And you kind of, I don't know, you kind of might, and then you push it, and then you go off on your little journey again. And then, and for some of us, that's all it is. That's what he's waiting for. For some of us, the same instruction is, I've called you, and I want you to lay aside this, whatever this is. I've got, I've got a plan, and I want you to be separated, so I want you to lay this down. And he's been saying the same thing to you, and he's saying it again today. For some of us, it's, I want you to do this. I want you to reach out to this person. I want you to start serving on team. I want you to start putting me first in the area of your finances. I want you to put some more effort into your marriage. Whatever it is, it's different for all of us. But it's the same instruction. It's the same as what it was in chapter 1. It's the same in chapter 3. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. I want you to do this. What is it that he said to you? I want you to do it. For some of us, it's, it's um, I want you to forgive this person. Come on, it's time. It's been too many years now. It's the same instruction. Let it go. I know it's hard, but I'm here for you. My mercy is great. It's the same instruction. And he's saying to you again this morning, and he's there waiting with his mercy to see if you're ready to follow. Are you ready? Are you ready? And he'll keep popping up at the different chapters, waiting to see if you're ready. And those two words, 
that I was talking about that will change your life is yes, God. Yes, God. Simple but hard to do, right? You know, a great example of God's incredible mercy is when a woman got caught in adultery. She deserved punishment by law. That's what she deserved. She deserved, the law said she needs to be stoned. Yet Jesus said to her accusers, if you have never sinned, then you can throw the first stone. But one by one they left because no one could say that they were without sin. No one could say that they were without sin. I read this just yesterday. You know, it says this, many prodigals want to come home but the house that is left but the house but the house they left is dominated by an older brother attitude so a prodigal's attitude is i know i have messed up and i deserve all i should get an older brother's attitude is i didn't mess up and i deserve more do you remember the the younger brother the prodigal son and the older brother it's like what about me and the father said you've you've been here everything i have is yours but he thought he deserved more. In his mind, he was more righteous than than what he was. And this is what God says to the both of them. You both messed up and I love you both the same. Older brother, younger brother. (laughs) That's a message this morning. We're all messed up. (laughs) Just go home, go have coffee. No. It's meant to show how great God's mercy is what we just saw on the screen to expose the Jonah in all of us so that we would recognise God's incredible mercy. And at times that can be challenging for us, particularly those that may have an older brother attitude. It can be challenging. This is why King David said when he sinned, let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hands. He knew whose hands he wanted to fall in, which was God's hands. And I've got two questions for you this morning. You don't have to tell me the answer. It's between you and God. Two questions. If you can stand to your feet this morning. The two questions this morning. The first one is, what are you running from? What are you running from? Is today the day that you stop and say, Barley's, I surrender. Is today that day making a decision to end a chapter of your life and step into what God has for you next? Otherwise, we go around and around and around with all that pain and that suffering, whereas today you can make a decision to say, yes, I know what you said to me last and I'm going to step into it. And the second question is this, are you okay with God loving your enemies? And before you answer that, I want to put this another way. Because I think the Christian in all of us, by default answer, is just, yeah, of course. I think that's a default answer as Christians. So, you know, there's a difference to to what you say you believe and what you actually believe, what's actually in your heart. There's a difference. And I know sometimes when we've been in God for for quite a while, we have our default answers. We, We just say what we think is right or what we've got in our head, but it's not really in our hearts. And so I want to put it like this. Are you okay with God blessing those who, in your opinion, don't deserve to be blessed? Are you okay with that? Those that, that you consider to have major character flaws, those that, that, that have hurt you, those that, that, 
that you think of are less than or vice versa? Are you okay with God blessing those people? You know, you may want to see them get saved and even have eternal life, but do you want to see them get blessed? Those people that you see on social media, people that you don't really like, or maybe you do like them, people on social media, your family in your workplace, are you okay to, to see God's favour pour out upon them? Are you okay to see blessings on their life? The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, 36, it says this, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. And it's through a transformed heart that we can be merciful towards others. It's through renewing of our mind that we can be merciful towards others. And you know, if you have the gift of mercy, this comes a lot easier for you. And I want to encourage you, if you have the gift of mercy, to keep reaching out in that gift. Because if you don't, then that... That then you focus inward and you focus on your own hurts and your own fears. But if you have the gift of mercy, continue to reach out and reach out to people. That's so important. But for the rest of us, it can be a challenge because there's a Jonah in all of us. And God is calling us higher this morning. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so the two questions we get are, what are you running from? And we're going to worship in a minute. And I want you to think about that. And is today the day that you can make a decision to step into that next chapter? And are you okay with God blessing your enemies? And if you're not, if someone comes to mind, then deal with it. Forgive them. Ask God to forgive you. I was extremely challenged by this message. So don't think that I've not gone through this myself this week I'm just going to pray and I want you to think about those two questions Lord we just thank you for your word Father God we thank you for your incredible mercy in our lives Lord God we thank you that that there's times where you, the Bible says to search your hearts and point out anything in us that offends you Lord God and this morning we come to you with our heart wide open and we repent of our ways, Lord God, that you'd clean us, that you'd search us. That you'd show us what it is, that last instruction that you've given us, each person here. That we'll take that step towards you this morning. God, we ask that you do a work in our hearts, Lord God. That we just don't know stuff in our heads, Lord, but we're totally transformed by the power of your spirit, Lord God. That you'd move powerfully in us, Father God. That we would love with your love, Lord God. That we would extend mercy with your mercy, Lord. So we thank you for Jonah and all that he showed us, Father. But that we just wouldn't point the finger and have a look at what's in our heart, Lord. I just want you to spend some time with God right now as just as we worship. Just talk to him. Ask for forgiveness. Forgive who you need to. And know that you're loved. Thank you, Jesus. You give life. 